We're in the 17th chapter of Luke, beginning in verse 11. As he was on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was entering a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and cried out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed. When one of them realized he had been healed, he turned back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus said, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one except this foreigner come back? To give praise to God. And he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you whole. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Well, as Troy mentioned, I I did study all week on this sermon, and the conclusion that I draw for you is leprosy really stinks. Now, Leprosy can be very complicated and extremely painful, but there can also be milder skin issues that could have been considered leprosy in Jesus' day. So the physical pain might vary, but the emotional pain and the social stigma was deep indeed. In Leviticus, they had been ordered that if you were a leper, you had to be outside the community. And you had to, if any of the community that, ha- that did not have leprosy came in your direction, you had to identify yourself and yell out, unclean, unclean. And on the off miraculous chance that you were healed, then you went and showed yourself to the priests. And I think Troy actually had a pretty good definition of it for the kids. It's a little bit like being a zombie, a living zombie, but a zombie. And it is no wonder that when these ten men who are living outside the community but at an intersection, because that way they could catch people as they were coming by and ask them for charity, it's no wonder that when they saw their chance, they grabbed it. And they yelled out to Jesus and asked for pity. And Jesus gave the instruction to go and show themselves to the priests. And on their way, we're told all ten were cleansed. It's a miracle. It's amazing. But what's interesting is what Luke adds. At the end of the story, though all ten have been cleansed, it's one of them that Jesus looks at and directly says, your faith has made you whole. Well is another translation. Saved is another translation. It's a big concept. Apparently it indicates that there's something greater and more significant in life than just our physical healing. Perhaps, as Troy pointed out, it's an inner and emotional healing, but But perhaps it's even more than that, and an experience, a powerful experience with the living God. Whatever it is, it's different from just the physical healing. So the question that I want to ask this morning is, how do you get in position to to get that? How do you receive that sort of wholeness, that sort of wellness, that sort of salvation? Now, if you'd have asked me before I read the story, I would have guessed, well, you get it by belief. I mean, believing in God uh, has... A lot of things come to life in us when we believe in God. And one of the things you see in this story is that all ten of these lepers believe. They believe enough to call out to Jesus. And they believe even more when Jesus tells them to go and show themselves to the priest. 
And apparently they aren't healed. They're healed on the way. So you can imagine the belief that it took on their part to go with their skin still falling off, still white, without the signs of leprosy. They start making their way back into town where they're not supposed to be to show themselves to the priest. How embarrassing would it have been to make it all the way into town and have nothing to show the priest? But they had enough belief. And they did it all ten believed. And yet, we're told only one was really made whole. So maybe there's more than belief that's involved. And to me, another good guess is obedience. Obedience is always, I think, critical. When God asks us to do something, it's important that we, to the best of our ability, try to do it. Obedience is perhaps the key in the most famous story of leprosy in the Old Testament. A, name, uh, a Syrian general, a very powerful man whose name is Naaman, comes down with leprosy. And he hears about this prophet of God, and so he, he uh, sends a servant to inquire about the possibility of healing. And Naaman is told by the prophet to go and uh, wash in the Jordan River, and he'll be healed of his leprosy. And you may remember responses like, well, we got bigger rivers than that back home. I thought you'd ask me to do something really significant. And so he's not healed until his servant prevails upon him to just, he says, you know, if they asked you to do something big, you would have done it. Jump off a building, you'd have done it. So why not just do what he asked and go to this river and bathe? And he does. And we're told that his skin becomes just like a baby's skin. And he's healed through obedience. That always seems like a good key. But when you look at the story, all ten of them obey when Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. But it's the one who disobeys who turns around and comes back. He's the one that's named whole. He's the one that's called well. He's the one that's called saved. What's going on? There must be something else. If this were a children's book, I would have a drawing of, of nine guys going one direction and one guy going the opposite direction. And I might ask the question, which one of these is not like the others? And it's the Samaritan. And what's he doing that's not like the others? The short answer is he's returning back to Jesus. He's going back to the scene of his healing. Now at this point, before we go further, I want you to know that there is a, a practice that has long been around in the faith of Jesus in, in, in Judaism that says when God does something for you, that you give thanks to God at the very time and in the very spot where it happens. And if you forget to give thanks to God in the spot where it happens, when it comes to you, you go back to that spot and you give thanks. And a number of us have adopted this as our practice. And I have to tell you that it has cost me many hours and a lot of gas uh, through the years to go, oh, I forgot to say thank you and to go back to that spot. And even to this day, when things have happened at a spot and I find myself in that spot again, I offer a prayer of thanks. It's, it's a long-standing practice. A number of years ago, my middle son, his freshman year, was returning back to college. He had a blowout. He was in the far left lane on I-35 just um, before he came to New Braunfels. His car slid all the way over through traffic uh, to the other side and then um, did collide with one other car. And nobody was hurt. Uh, and the DPS coming upon the scene told my son, you know, that was amazing. That was miraculous. At that time of the morning with that traffic that you escaped this. And ever since then at exit 182, as I head north toward Austin, I mutter under my breath, 
a prayer of thanksgiving for a son who's been spared. And that's a long time practice. And I think that's part of what's going on. But I want to look more deeply what the Bible says is going on when he comes back to the scene. The Bible points out in Luke a few things that he does. The first thing it points out is he comes back and gives praise to God. He worships. He worships God at that spot. And even Jesus says, was only one found to come back and give praise, to, to give thanks? And then Jesus asked this question, where are the other nine? And it almost seems like Jesus is incredulous or Jesus is offended in the question. And I think that's really not it. Jesus knows what any person at that day, Jews would have known, and that is to worship God, you've got to have ten males to do it who have gathered in community. So what's happened? God's done this miraculous thing, and nine of them have gone one direction, and one of them has gone back the other. And Jesus is basically, I think, asking, saying, man, how can we have a worship service? The other nine aren't here. He knows how significant worship is. I believe worship is so significant that this is what God did. When the people were enslaved to the Egyptians, God said to Moses, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that they may. He doesn't say be free. The first issue is not slavery, though. That's an important issue. The first issue is worship so that they may come and worship me. Worship is a profound uh, of profound importance, not to God as if God's ego needs stroking. But for us, there's something that happens in us as we give praise to God that is transforming and, I would add, life-giving. When the rabbis talked about worship, they used an analogy that never would have occurred, occurred to me. They compared the Dead Sea to the Sea of Galilee. Now, that may occur to you, but in context of worship, the Sea of Galilee is interesting because water comes in and water goes out. The Dead Sea is interesting because the Jordan empties into it and nothing goes out. And it's dead. And they talked about worship as life-giving. God does something for us and it passes through us and passes and goes on. And it goes on in worship, both with our praise and with our gifts and giving of ourselves to others. There's something life-giving about worship. And when this man comes back, that's what he's doing. And he finds that life in doing it. And then, as we've already talked about and sung about this morning, another interesting thing the guy does, not only does he praise God, he says thank you to Jesus. He gives thanks. And thanksgiving is another huge element, not because God needs it, but again because of the power of thanksgiving and what it does in our own life. Uh, it's, it's interesting that uh, some people say, well, the difference between the nine and the one is the nine lepers are Jewish lepers, so they're the chosen people, and they, they feel entitled. When they get their healing, their attitude is, well, it's about time. Well, I don't see that in the text, but that could be there. But I know it, whether it's true of the lepers or not, it's true of me. I have a sense of entitlement. I mean, I'm showing up every Sunday. I'm praying. I'm staying off the streets at night. Well, surely God owes me something. And that sense of entitlement creeps in our life, and it cuts across, I believe, every social strata. Every one of us, from the lowest economically to the highest, has that sense that, well, we're owed more. I remember a guy that I knew was pastor of a downtown church in another place, and 
fun Sunday afternoon. Uh, worship was over. He was the last one in the parking lot going to his car, and a panhandler met him and, and asked for money. And, well, you know, he reached in, and he found two quarters. And he gave the guy two quarters, and he walked off feeling that wasn't bad. And the panhandler looked at it and then looked at, at the pastor and said, Hey, buddy, haven't you ever heard of inflation? There is that sense at every level that, that we're, we're owed something and that we're due more. And that sense of entitlement misses the joy and the gifts that God's giving us. Uh, Thanksgiving really opens a way to celebrate and live life more fully in the moment. Brene Brown has, has written a, a number of wonderful books. The most recent is called um, Daring Greatly. Uh, she's from Houston, Texas. You may have seen her TED Talk on vulnerability. If you haven't, you go to the Internet and watch it. But she said one of the things that people tend to live with is what she calls a sense of foreboding joy. And that is we'll, we'll, we'll have young children and we'll watch them in bed at night and we'll think to ourselves, oh, we love them so much. I just don't think I could stand it if anything ever happened. Or we get a new job and we think, well, this is great, but what if, what if I lose it or what if I'm not good at it? And, and there's always, she said, that sense of that the other shoe may drop and that we don't fully live into and celebrate the moment in which we find ourselves. She calls that foreboding joy. And she said, as I've studied healthy, courageous people who live well in the moment, what I found is that when something like that is happening, their attitude is, is that they are grateful. They are grateful. They're not worrying about what might happen. They are grateful for what is there in that moment. And that thanksgiving enables them to live more fully in what God has, has done for them and um, rather than worry about what may or may not yet occur. And then she says something I find interesting, and she quotes a famous poet who also agrees with it. She says, it's not that people are grateful because they're joyful. She says that doesn't work that way. That we're joyful, we're having a good day, and so that turns us into grateful people. She said, I've found this. It is grateful people who become joyful. That if there's a sense of celebration and joy missing in your life, it's likely because you and I are not really grateful. Not really counting our blessings, not really on the spot thanking God for what has come. And that's what this leper does. And he's opened up, I think, into an arena of life that the other nine can't get open to. But to me, the most important thing that happens in the story is this. Ten guys ostracized from community, if with their healing they get their ticket back, their certificate of occupancy, they can move back to their families, they can go back to their life, they can go back to their home, and nine guys don't want to lose that. And so one of them, when he's healed, turns back, and the others are like, I ain't taking any chances. I'm moving, I'm getting my clearance, I'm getting my occupancy certificate, I'm getting my get-out-of-jail-free card, I'm, I'm going home. And one of the things, it leads me to wonder as if the healing meant more to them than the one who healed them. That what he had done was more important than the person who cared enough to do that. But this one guy rolls the dice. If he loses his healing, he loses it. But he's going to go back. 
and have a relationship with the guy that cared so much that he did something about his situation. One of the things this teaches me is that it's more important to value the giver than the gift. It's more important to value the healer than the healing. And it just invites me to ask, do we only love Jesus for what he can give us and bring to us? Is, is that the deal we have? Jim Harrington in Houston, the author of Faith Walking, talks about a few years, a few years ago having lunch with a Christian businessman in Houston and the guy was obviously not in a good place, and he was a little frustrated with his faith, and he explained it, and he said, look, he said, I've always done a, been a good person, and I've gone to church, and I've served, and I've done good things, and my understanding was if I would do that, Jesus would take care of me and take care of my family. Not that he would make my life easy, but that he would make it good. And he went on to share that one of his sons had made a very bad decision and was continuing to live in that very bad choice. And he, and he talked about what the choice had done to their family. And he admitted, he said, I don't think God has kept his end of the bargain. And he went on and he said, what's the good news about believing in Jesus if he doesn't do anything for you? Where's the good news in that? He asked. Now maybe you and I would have never said that out loud to somebody over lunch. But I wonder if we've thought that from time to time. That we're here for... Well, what we can get. We're with him, but as long as he'll give us stuff. Now, I've got kids. Maybe you have kids. And, and I know there's a stage in which or a time which they'll be nice to me because, well, they want to spend the night with somebody. Or they're nice to me because, well, they do want the keys to the car. You know, and I get that. But if that's still happening 20 years from now, we got issues. We've got a problem. Because if they only love me for what I can give them, we don't really have a relationship at all. And this leper has finally moved past what he can get to have the relationship with the one who gives, in spite of the possibility that he might even lose what he has. There's a story that Ray Vanderland told a few years ago, and it's bothered me for a number of years, but I'm beginning to come to terms with it. The story is about a great rabbi who lived shortly before the days of Jesus. Powerful man, a man who did miracles. Uh, very much beloved. A couple came to him, they were childless, and they said, and they poured their hearts out to the rabbi about how they had no children. And the rabbi was moved. He, he noticed they, they were wonderful people, pure of heart, and he said, by this time next year, you will have a child. Of course, Abraham and Sarah so many years ago had been told that. And he told them. They were so grateful and so excited and the couple went off. And the rabbi was pleased. But then God spoke to him and said, Rabbi, yes, Lord. What were you doing? What do you mean? It's a wonderful couple. They, are, they, they love you. They, they love our people. They would be wonderful parents. I knew, I knew you'd want them to have a child. And he said, well, because you have promised them that I would give them a child, I will. But I want you to know that wasn't the plan I had for that couple. That was not what I had in mind for them. And because you spoke for me without checking with me first, you will not enter heaven. At which point, the rabbi started jumping up and down and dancing around and laughing. And the Holy One said, well, I don't think you understand. I said, because you've done this, you will not enter heaven. 
And the rabbi said, I know, I know. He said, for so many years, I've been afraid that I would only love you for what you give me. And now I know that I love you just for who you are. And he continued to dance around excitedly. Did he make it to heaven? I believe he did. And I believe he experienced heaven in that very moment.